Hello and welcome to Bring It to the Table. Typically on every episode, myself or Connor or Stephen will bring to the table something of a particular interest to ourselves. But this week, episode nine, we are inviting a guest onto our show to bring to the table something that he wants to share with us. Um, we'll get to that in a minute, but how have you boys been? Yeah, all good, mate. All good, getting settled in the new place. Obviously, it's been absolutely glorious weather, um, but I've got my COVID jab tomorrow, so Ooh. I'm fully expecting an evening uh, sat in front of the Microsoft store buying things that I don't need inexplicably because Bill Gates has infiltrated my bloodstream. But uh, <laughs> all good. I, I hate needles, so I'm absolutely like terrified of that, but I think um, it'll be fine. Oh man, I think it's glorious weather tomorrow, so you can't spend that day inside. Have you got the day off, have you? No, it's like 10 past six, so unfortunately mm-hmm. I've got to work, but um, I've been doing a bit of work from my balcony today, which is very uh, very bougie. Yeah, that's um, all right, yeah. that's all right. How about you, Connor, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. As I said, as Stephen said, it's bare hot, and I've just been trying to make the most of the glorious weather i've been sunburnt uh through the 10 minutes i spent outside on the balcony on sunday without my top on so all my neighbors <laughs> will be blessed to know that i did get burnt because i am pale as a milk bottle and yeah aside from that just ticking on trying to cool down got a big fan that i've been cranking on <laughs> 24 hours i've had to turn it off for the podcast because it's noisy so trying to cool down for a few beers which is what got me and dear Indeed, indeed. I think we've all, we've all got beers. Yeah. How, how have you been, George? <laughs> yeah, man. I've I've been all right. I've been um, been uh, worked into the ground a little bit, so I'm a little bit tired after the past couple of weeks. But uh, I feel like I'm coming out the back end of it, so I'm not doing too bad. Um, yeah, looking forward to uh, sort of the the end of, of of the reopening of hospitality, and looking forward to just getting into. Uh, other things, more personal time, a good work-life balance, I think they call it. <laughs> of, course. of course, we hope that it uh, it stays like this now. We don't want any more lockdowns or any closures, do we? We just want it to be smooth sailing from now on. Yeah, and, and luckily, George, um, a major European football tournament is just about to start, so it should be pretty chilled for you for the next few months. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, I don't work behind a bar anymore, so it's uh, uh, it's going to be more intense for the for the boys on the on the ground level, the front facing dudes, um, which I wholly feel for, and I'm so sad that I can't be there, <laughs> you know, pouring pints. <laughs> got time to do a podcast, but you ain't got time to help them out the Shut up, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been my, this has been the earliest finish I've had. I come home at six, you know. I know, I'm man. <laughs> I feel so bad for you, dude. Like you do work hard. No, no, no one's ever saying you don't. You know, people don't realise how much you do as a as, as the level that you are in the hospitality. It's very much a behind the scenes sort of role, isn't it? You know, without you, it wouldn't really function. So it's very important. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. I needed that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to edit this out to make it sound like you're a shit house. <laughs> <laughs> That's sound. That's sound. Moving on. Um, so, yeah, obviously this week we have got a guest with us. Um, so we have invited onto the show uh, James, who is a fellow band member with Connor um, in his band Myoto, who, if you've listened to previous episodes, uh, you will have heard of the band and you will have heard the... Um, lead singer as well hello james how are you i'm good thank you george how are you yeah good man good man it's great to have you on the show um we're really excited to uh to hear what you 
have to bring to the table for us. Um, but for, for the listeners at home that obviously will not know you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Have you got uh, interests and hobbies you want to share? Uh, yeah, I mean, so like you're saying, I'm in a band with Connor. I played bass. Uh, played bass for most of my sort of teenage years, adult life. It's my sort of premier hobby, I guess. Wanted, would, would love it to be sort of uh, number one thing in my life one day potentially gonna hang on to the dreams and all that um and then other than that you know day to day um I'm, I'm an acoustics consultant so i do a lot of stuff with sort of noise and sound anyway so like it's I sort of live that life um it's not as quite as exciting as making the music and everything but um do some sort of interesting stuff on like construction projects and stuff like that so get a real like sort of day-to-day sort of how sound affects real life and you know yeah. stuff like that so that's what i do day to day and then uh other than that like like just saying before we came on like been out for a big walk getting outside all that kind of stuff so that's me really nothing more nothing less <laughs> so you're, you're, you're based in manchester aren't you but you're from uh doncaster yeah so i moved here for university and it must have been six or seven years ago so yeah. I'm sort of an adopted Mancunian, sort of lived all <laughs> over the place, city centre, Salford. I'm living in Gloucester at the minute, I'm planning to move back so closer to town centre sort of this year. Um, oh. Gossip sounds nice. What's it like in Gossip? You must have a, with the Pennines, <laughs> is it, on your doorstep? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great for that. I mean, I don't know why we did it. We sort of just did it on a whim. And like, <laughs> it was sort of like mid-lockdown and we were like, hated living in the middle of Salford. Um yeah. wanted to sort of have a bit more outdoor space really and just get away from it and then now it's like things are going back to normal like you sort of want to be in the thick of it again like I feel really out <laughs> of it like can't go and meet people on a whim like it's not bad the train's like sort of half an hour um, right. but you sort of have to plan your day out more than just sort of leaving your house and walking in 10 minutes into town or mm-hmm. Gossip's one of those uh, great places that I always drive through and it looks really picturesque. And it's one of those nightmare places as well because it's like the it's like the channel over the Peak District over to like Sheffield and Nottingham places. So yeah. when you're trying to drive through there, the traffic's just mental. If you pick the wrong time, it's awful. But it must be nice living on the Peak District, like right on the edge of it, good walks there, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like the traffic is definitely the killer. Like, especially <laughs> like through lockdown, I've been absolutely spoiled, like, I go to in my day-to-day job, I sort of get to sight quite a lot all over the country. So like driving from like, you know, here to wherever in like such a short amount of time, you you know, it's been a blessing. And then now it's like absolutely flooded with it. But yeah, living on living on the peaks is uh, it is nice. It has its benefits, definitely. And there's some good pubs around here that's unfortunately not sort of got to fully experience yet, but very much looking forward to sort of actually just being able to walk up to a bar and order a pint again um, if those <laughs> days ever return. I always think uh, Glossop sounds like a brand of paint whenever I hear the word. <laughs> I always think it'd be like a, a good like rival to do looks or something. Yeah, I think it could sound like some sort of um, rival to like Stannis Airlifts or something like that. It just sound, <laughs> sounds like somewhere where old people congregate, but surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly, yeah. really not. Like it's quite a lot of sort of young families here. Um, but yeah, it is a lot of sort of like families that live here more than anything. Well, big up anyone listening in Glossop. They do have <laughs> uh, 
They have the internet there, right? <laughs> Just about. <laughs> oh, you've cut out there, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's very nice to, to meet you, man. Um, Thank you. I know uh, we've never actually met, but I think uh, myself, Webb, um, we're going to come see your gig. Oh, which, that'd be amazing. Uh, remind me of the date again. It's, it's in July, isn't it? It's the end of July. Yeah, 31st of July at Thirsty Scholar slash Zombie Shack. Uh, just right. basically underneath Oxford Road Station, so dead easy to get to. Should be when sort of things are back to normal. Don't know what it's going to sort of be like. I assume events are going to be a bit more like sort of restricted in terms of entry. I'm sure they'll make it work, and that's all that matters. So, yeah, man. Well, if, if your singles are anything to go by, uh, I can't wait. I think it'll be an amazing gig. Oh, thank you. Really appreciate that. Just no to realise as well, we're going to have to get. Andy on now, aren't we? The fourth member of the band, or it's going to feel like the absolute uh, black sheep of it. Like, <laughs> as soon as I got James confirmed on this, I was like, "Yeah, uh, next season, Andy must be the first guest now." He's going to feel left out. We were saying the other day that we wanted to uh, do more guests because they tend to be the most interesting part of our shows, <laughs> and we're running out of ideas. So <laughs> <laughs> everyone seems to want us to get on like radio interviews with everyone in the band at the minute, and it's pretty chaotic. So I wouldn't <laughs> recommend going down that route because it just tends to be like Reese talking for ninety um, percent of it, and then like <laughs> then the presenter realising he hasn't spoke to anyone else. No offense, Reese, we love you. <laughs> Uh, I love it. I love it. Right. Well, we um, we've, now that we're all caught up, we'd very much like to get into your topic. So when you're ready, James, bring your topic to the table. Bring it to the table. I will be bringing to the table today my favourite sport and a sport I think is pretty misunderstood. Hence, why I thought it was quite a good Something to talk about. Um, so that's Formula One, uh, the sort oh, okay. of premier motorsport category in the world. Probably, you know, hand in hand with the rich and famous, I guess, and uh, mm. the far too wealthy. But if you sort of ignore that side of it, I think it's quite an amazing sport. Not just because it's amazing, it's fast, and it's just like exhilarating and anything can happen at any time, but also yeah. because the, the the time and effort that goes into it by every single team is like something to be like truly commended. Like it's generally yeah. like sending the space rocket to Mars like week after week for like wow. half a year. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I mean, I, I'm just chipping in. Like I, I know nothing about F1. What about you two? Absolutely nothing. I think it stops at Lewis Hamilton for me. That's literally yeah. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. knowledge when it comes to Formula One stops. Obviously, Michael Schumacher. I, yeah. I remember him. It's cars, right? Yeah, it's cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So specifically open wheel cars. What makes them different is if you've ever seen one, they, you know, your sort of average road car or sort of any race car like Ferrari, sort of road car or anything like that, has part of its chassis goes over the wheels. And when you take that away, the whole concept of a car sort of changes because the the way that yet yeah, you know the car travels through the air, which is what mm. every car does, completely changes. And you know it's super high speed, just crazy crazy people who do it really. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not the most knowledgeable about the history of the sport. I know sort of like how it came to be, 
yeah. um, and everything like that. But I'm not going to sit here like some guy on YouTube who's like done like sort of our documentary about it. I don't, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> Before James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But okay. yeah, so I mean, basically, it started how it sort of is now, just a little blokes wanting to race cars around really fast and maybe shorten their life. I'm not quite sure what they were doing. <laughs> so through seekers, yeah, definitely. I mean, it started it started somewhere in the 1930s because I know that there was like a whole massive disruption of it because of the war um, and everything like that, which I think affected every sport. But like, because it all started in like sort of mid 1930s, mm. it got disrupted by that. So really, it sort of didn't come to like fruition as like I guess like an official tournament, sort of what you get like a Premier League in another sport or something like that um, until like the 50s when it became like more regulated so before that wow. they just sort of showed up to a you know these car it was just car clubs basically so I guess right. the modern day equivalent of that that someone may have heard of is like the Monaco Car Club which is like the sort of one for the rich and the famous and they show up in the massive cars and you know just parade them around basically what, even back in the 30s, Monaco yeah. was rich? Okay, well, I no, thought it was quite no, a modern thing. No, so I guess I could go into Monaco as a whole topic, but yeah, I mean, oh, Monaco okay. was one of the first, like, big car clubs, but it wasn't as rich um, as it is, you know, is now. There's, like, a whole history behind it, which is pretty crazy um, sure. in terms of where it all came from, and I'm not here to do a history podcast about Monaco, so I don't have time to talk about that, but... It is interesting. There are plenty of videos out there, and it is like quite an actually interesting history of Monaco. Because again, that is probably a pillar of what makes Formula One Formula One. Like if you say Formula One, people think of Lewis Hamilton, Monaco, and fast yeah. cars, probably. Or yeah, I mean, you know, sort of those sort of car clubs. British car clubs were a big thing. Like if you've heard of like Lotus and stuff like that, like they were one of the first manufacturers to sort of get involved in Formula One and, like, help build cars. But in the, in the early days, it literally was, like, people, like, modding cars. So, like, these idiots usually going around nowadays with, um, you know, the exhaust making ridiculous noises, couldn't even put a penny on what these guys did. <laughs> um, and then, sort of, as it moved into, like, the 1950s, it became, like, more regulated. So the governing body, which is the FIA, which stands for something in French, which I'm not going to try and... Some of the automobile or something like that. <laughs> Um, Can you say it in the accent? No. <laughs> I'm not doing that while being recorded. <laughs> so uh, the FIA is the governing body, sort of like FIFA in yep. football. And F- Formula okay. One is, I guess, the Premier League. So one of the first teams that was in the sport, the, the, the team that's been in the sport since it was called Formula One, and there was like official Formula One Grand Prix, has always been Ferrari. So I guess I'll start there. Um, just in terms of yeah. explaining a team. So, like, Ferrari back then, if I remember right, it was basically just Enzo Ferrari, who was, like, the head of Ferrari at the time, wanted to race cars. So he got involved in Formula One, basically like that. And then yeah. that's sort of, like, where they sort of split aside from their manufacturing. But I think they started as a race team and then became a manufacturer. But you'll see that sort of throughout the history of Formula One with different teams, where they sort of started making cars, like, for the racing... Yeah. And then, then we're like, oh, we need to make actual money, <laughs> not switch the car around for right. prize money. It doesn't sort of work out like that. Not a good business model. Uh, Enzo Ferrari has got to be the coolest name ever oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> There's a road car called Ferrari Enzo, and that's sort of one of the iconic road cars for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with that one. Not the Top Gear car. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. So, so I guess, there's, there's not any money in actual racing Formula One? No, so there is. So basically, you'll build a car. Um, mm. And until very recently, and I'll get into that when I get around to talking about what it's like now. <laughs> but at the start, you just make... So I don't know what those sort of first regulations were, but I, I'm, as, as far as I know, it was like your car can only be this big in size. It has to have open wheels, like I was saying. Like That's the big sort of thing. Because I think that was in the, in the first sort of iteration of it the open wheel thing was just sort of because that's how they used to make performance cars so you might see them they sort of look a bit like a cigar and then mm. with four wheels strapped to it and then then it just okay. became like a pillar of the sport and then i guess like as technology progressed they realized there was a lot of like sort of scientific stuff going on that made it very unique compared to like racing a car with a full shell over it um, I guess actually, to be honest, that's how cars used to be, didn't they? Like if you're back mm. in those eras, they didn't build cars with a chassis over the wheels. So that's sort of where it started. Um, and money, sorry, like I say, I guess like um, it was car club. So people would pay membership yeah. fee to a car club. They'd show up, and then I guess that prize yeah. money would sort of be like a lottery, where you know when you pay into a lottery, and if you win it, you get the other people's money. It's not like oh, okay. that kind of thing. So I guess you showed up. And then whoever won came second or third probably got money. And then they probably made some amount of profit on it. But I don't think it was about that in the first sort of early days of it. I think it was just pure like exhilaration. I mean, they didn't they didn't reach the race on like I guess official race tracks. Race tracks didn't become a thing until years later when they started oh. sort of like making purpose built like tracks. I mean, a lot of them were either sort of straights of road that they could get closed off that were really long and straight because Nowadays, like the tracks are all windy and technical, and a sort of whole thing is, yeah. you suppose, that it's like a feat of driving. But back then, it was just like they just wanted to go really fast. Okay. Just like, yeah, that was it. Like engine power was everything. So, because Monaco is like quite an intricate one, isn't it? It's like yeah. through the streets and stuff. So yeah, definitely. I mean, that was probably like one of the first. I think that was the first street circuit, and I think to be honest, right. probably the only reason that it's still around today is because of like its history and where it started because you know there's iconic photos of that and they just race down like actual streets it's like racing you know 100 miles per hour down the road outside your house like the street lamps there's people still on the side of the road like some yeah. great photos from the 50s of them just absolutely having no care for their lives at all <laughs> that's just the amazing thing about it but yeah they used to place on tracks and then like aerodromes to silverstone which is the british grand prix that was just an air base. Um, and after the war, it was re they just raced around the outer roads a bit rather than like over the runways. And then uh, over time, they started making money off tickets. So they sort of actually started caring about the shape of it and the safety and all that mm -hmm. stuff. So that's, that's basically the history. I mean, the only other thing to cover would be, I guess, these teams were just teams of people. So I guess you get like McLaren. You may have heard of McLaren. That was just a guy called Bruce mm. McLaren who actually 50 years ago is uh, oh, just Bruce McLaren. Yeah, we're actually celebrating 50 years of like him starting that team today. I just saw. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and okay. a lot of the team names, I mean, even Ferrari are just people's names that start the teams. Um, <laughs> and you'll see that for many years, I guess, until because obviously, like I said, people sort of built the cars and I think they used to use in the early days. Um, I may be completely wrong, but I'm pretty sure they used to just buy an engine that existed and just tune it up. 
sort of mm. like that. And then when it sort of became uh, regulated and there was proper prize money and there was sort of, I guess, profit to be made because they do make profit uh, to a degree, some of the team. Yeah. Um, I think more so in the past when it wasn't sort of as ludicrous and crazy as it is nowadays. But so I guess when the prize money started being there, then actual car manufacturers started getting involved. And initially that was just like, oh, we'll make your engine for you. So you don't have to mess around with mm. it. Um, and that's like sort of how brands like Lotus got involved. And Lotus came along and just absolutely fried everyone with the engines they were making because they were just well ahead of the curve. And to be honest, even Lotus was just a startup. So they weren't like long-term things. I guess it was only really sort of the 80s and 90s where you sort of started seeing real manufacturers get involved, like Porsche and Ford, uh, Mercedes. They, the Mercedes originally started make they made engines, and that's all they made. They never had a team like they do now. Um, Honda are another one. Okay. I mean, there's loads of manufacturers who've been involved. I think Lamborghini made engines for like a few years, but they were crap, so they got rid of them. <laughs> Where are Lotus based then? Because I, I, I can I can kind of guess that Ferrari and uh, Lamborghini are Italian. Yeah, Lotus is a British British engineer. Are they yeah, really? So, oh, wow. I think there's only two teams that are not mainly based in the UK. All but Ferrari and a team called Alpha Tauri. So the UK, well, basically everywhere around Milton Keynes, anywhere that's sort of near enough to get to Silverstone for a track day is is where the teams are based. And there's been teams that have been based in, Renault were based in France for a bit, but their actual factories in Eccleston, wherever that is. I think there was a team based in Spain or there was going to be, but that all fell through. And we have like a team okay. at the minute who's sort of half based in America because they've got an American owner, but everything's put together in the UK. So okay. the, fa- the factories are here. So, yeah, I mean, there's loads of history I haven't covered. Like, there's uh, every every throughout the history, like, everything's just evolved. Cars have sort of got faster and faster, and then they've pegged them back with, you know, regulation changes, which I'll talk about a bit more in depth. Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually quite interested because well, there's, there's some brands, and I don't know how, how modern they are, but I don't you don't typically see them in Formula One. Um, I, I don't know if BMW have ever been in Formula One, have yeah. they? Yes. Do they manufacture their own engines? I, I don't really know how it would work with regards to maybe some of the more modern brands we see now, like Fiat. Are they yeah. one or... Uh, I mean, is it pretty much every big brand that you would hear or that you would see on the roads will have some form of uh, stake in Formula One? I mean, so nowadays, like the way that cars companies are owned, like there's like umbrella companies. So, for example, like Porsche, BW, Audi and someone else are all owned by the same company. So, I mean, they're not they're not in Formula One at the minute. And and BMW. So. I think those teams are all under an umbrella company who aren't particularly bothered about Formula One at the minute because they're more mm. bothered about like electric cars and stuff like that. That that's something that like is being dealt with at the minute about where you know Formula One's going to be in ten years. But to get mm. back to what you were saying, I guess the BMW used to have a team, so they started like Mercedes did, and they started making engines. Then they had a team for a bit, and then they completely pulled out. So a lot of the teams. Basically, throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, it got a bit lucrative. It was like a glamorous lifestyle. And I think, to be honest, they were throwing money away like absolute crazy, a lot of the teams, because it was like the promotion. It used to be on like terrestrial televisions like BBC mm. or ITV. So like if you think about like getting, a you know, advertising, whoever you're putting on your car or any of your kit or whatever like that, you know, people are seeing day in, day out every week 
it's all been covered on BBC. Like it's a lot of money to be made. So I think advertising used to be a I think it still is branding and stuff, especially with social media now. But back mm. then, I think t- TV was a big deal. So like they wanted to be in it. So like BMW, like I said, made they made uh, engines and then had a team for a bit. And then the financial crisis came along. Honda as well, they had a team. Honda are back in it now as a manufacturer, but they're leaving again. Honda have had mm. a bad history. They've came, I think, came and gone like three or four times now. They just don't <laughs> seem to be able to like sort of stick with it because it is very expensive, especially like, like nowadays things are so crazy and mental but yeah mm. i mean fiat they used to have some sort of partnership with ferrari as well y- you know a lot of brands have had some sort of input in helping you know the sort of teams do stuff like maybe specific parts in the 90s there was a lot more car uh, engine manufacturers at porsche i mean porsche are linked to come back in it now again it's great especially now like the popularity of it again is sort of starting to grow again because for a long time it sort of got a bit bogged down but now it's starting mm. to get a younger audience again i think car manufacturers are starting to get into interest in it and the technology is becoming a bit more relevant because it sort of got away for a bit but yeah like you said there's a lot of brands and i've not really ever been into it but i've seen it obviously on telly you mentioned there's like 20 teams is that right but there's is it two drivers per team 10 teams 20, yeah. 10 teams 10 okay. teams and each team has as two drivers, as 20 drivers. Sorry, I got that mixed up when I said that earlier. Apologies. No, no, that's fine. So with, with regards to a new team coming in then, if, yeah. if, say, Porsche came back in, would another have to drop out or do they just make the grid bigger? So they've, they've set a limit of 26 drivers on the grid, which would mean uh, there could be space for three more teams. And that's mainly because, like, if you think about a track like Monaco, if you had about 40 cars racing around that, it'd just be chaos, especially with the gaps between the cars and... If one team was way better than the others, like they would just be smashing into the Wanderers slow. But yeah, so like, say if uh, Porsche wants to come in as their own team, I think they have to pay a fee to come into it, which is a new thing. But previously, basically, just if a team wants to come into it, the team sort of took them on. But now it's like the other teams want compensation because they sort of lose a bit of their time. And right. a lot of it, a lot of the money comes from like sort of the branding on the cars and their advertisement. So it's it's a bit tricky. But yeah, if another team wants to come in, They'd be really open to it. There's just a lot of complications, which <laughs> is like a whole sort of 20-minute talk in itself about just how many complications there are. Mm, yeah, fair, fair enough. Am I right in thinking that, is it Red Bull of coming of Formula 1 race? Yeah, so Red, Red Bull came in, I think, in 2005. So when Red Bull joined, so this is the other thing that the, uh, manufacturers have done, and you'll see that throughout the history of the teams, is that Red Bull used to be Jaguar, and then before that, they were another uh, team. So basically, they said... This team, say Jaguar, were like, we don't want to be in it anymore, but we don't want to like just sort of throw away everything we've done. So then if another sort of brand is wanting to get into it, they can just come along and go, we'll buy your factory and all your ass- all your ah. assets. So basically they'd get access to every car. Sometimes they sell off cars and stuff like that, but they get rid- like whatever collection of cars they still have left and parts and technical information and people and factory um, everything they just buy that and then just rebrand it basically so red bull cars are jags it, yeah but i think before that they were like i can't remember they were another team before that like every team like mercedes used to be honda for example so mercedes bought mercedes right. bought another team which i think was called braun f1 and braun f1 bought honda 
and before that Honda was someone else. It's it's just absolutely crazy. So, is there any sort of like um, do, do do the manufacturer teams kind of like look less? I know in football to compare it to Red Bull, are seen as a bit of like a fake industry because they kind of come in and they're with a lot of money, obviously a lot of financial backing. They've got like a team in Austria, a team yeah. in Germany, I think one in America as well, and it's very much like they've kind of cut the line almost. Is that a similar thing in F1? Do people look at them as a bit so? No, I wouldn't say so because I think, to be honest, there's been a history of just teams just coming along and buying other teams. So it's been quite sort of prevalent. Like a lot of the teams you can trace back to teams in the sort of late 80s and like 90s now. I think the, the newest entry on the grid is one called Haas and they actually brought their own. I think they did. I may be wrong about that, but I don't <laughs> think there's many teams that come along just like, because it's so expensive to start everything up, like it's the difficulty of building a factory and like somewhere to build everything. Like the car manufacturers aren't going to use, I don't know, the the Nissan factory that's in Northumberland or whatever, because that's not got the facilities they need to build these carbon fiber machines. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's difficult. I'd love more teams to get into it because there's just, there's a lot of drivers who have lost their sort of positions because like, someone new's come along or someone's come back to the sport. Like you get that a lot. And it is a bit of a, it's crazy to sort of talk about because you think like, why wouldn't you sign up when it's like so lucrative? But if you get stuck at the bottom of the dog pile, like there's not really much there. You have to win Mm -hmm. it. That's why Mercedes, when they came along and they started winning it, they just went because there's that much money in winning it that you can just reinvest that. And they just continue to win. It's sort of something like, I guess like Man City in football where they've now just continued to win and win and win and the success like it's just like a positive feedback loop like mm-hmm. obviously there's financial restrictions but <laughs> when you when you are the team to win people want to go there so they get the best staff because there's not just the drivers there's the people who build the car and the people who come up with the concept of everything and you know the back the backside of Formula One is really like 90% of it in, mm-hmm. in this state in this era of modern Formula One so it's crazy, yeah. But yeah, the, I wish there was more teams and I wish it was easier to get into, but a lot of the teams have vested interests, like Ferrari and their sort of history. But a lot of the teams have been around for longer sort of see it as like they don't want Porsche to come along and sort of steal the thunder. So yeah. I guess it would be like that. So so this might be a, a, a naive question as well, but do you have like a brand you support? So you were like a supporter of, say, Ferrari or... I guess it, that's, that's one thing I was going to like press on it's it's a weird sport because like i feel like a lot of people support ferrari because like they are the man U of f1 and they have like the whole nation of italy behind them and all that but for me i don't know where i sit because like i don't have like an affinity to these teams like there's no home thing like it's not like your hometown team in football or you know even growing up watching it like yeah, I sort of support the drivers more, but I wouldn't say that there is one driver that I want to win. I just want to see a good race. And that's yeah. the difficult thing. It's like it's like being a neutral in football, but I'd say a lot of fans are neutral, but maybe have preferences. So there are drivers that I do prefer, and there are teams that I prefer, but I wouldn't have even said like 10 years ago, these teams would, you know, the teams that I support now, I know they've all gone under different names, but the competitive order changes. And then, especially with Mercedes being so dominant, it's like you don't want them to win, whatever cost. And some teams aren't ever going to win because they're too slow. And like once they build that car, 
they're stuck with it for the whole season. Have you always been like that then? Like when you first got into it, I presume as a kid, maybe you've mentioned the 90s a few times. Yeah. Were you were you just enjoying it for what it was or did like one driver or team kind of get you into it? Because I know it was pretty like huge in the UK in the 90s when it because of people like... Um, yeah. Um, is it Damon Hill? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm 90s right. was He's... a bit early for me. Uh, okay. Mine was like more like two, 2000s. So like, I guess... I think most people who watched it back then, like Michael Schumacher, but I really like Fernando Alonso. He was actually back in the sport and he's like 40. <laughs> and he's driving around these yeah. crazy cars. Um, and then Lewis Hamilton, I mean, like when he first came, to do what he did at his age, coming from his background, is like just unheard of in the sport. Like you just don't get, yeah. you, this is another thing, like the money to get into the sport sort of makes some of the drivers less, you get called pay drivers. So there's drivers who literally like either bring a financial backing that is just like the teams cannot not take. Because like I said, the profit margins are fine. And if they can actually make more money and spend more money on the car, they want to do that. So there's a lot of drivers that sort of like push that away. But going back to what you were saying, I guess like, yeah, it would be sort of early 2000s. Like Michael Schumacher, I always remember watching him as a kid. And like definitely Lewis Hamilton, not so much now because you've just won everything. You sort of get a bit more of it. Well, yeah, normally we'd sort of say for the listeners who might not know, explain it, but I don't think any of us know. So when you talk about Lewis Hamilton doing things that like no one had seen before or or at his age, what what was it exactly he did? Because I don't think any of us are sort of... So Lewis Hamilton, I mean, a lot of drivers, so just to put it into context, a lot of drivers, I believe, the parents are either drivers, which you see a lot, so Max Verstappen, who's another person you may have heard of, his dad was a race driver. So basically, a lot of drivers come along because their parents are rich and they can afford to send them karting. And you start when you start driving, you're starting karting, and then you move up. And there's like Formula Four, Formula Three, Formula. There's loads of different categories of like sort of they look like Formula One cars, but much smaller and safer and slower, basically. And you work your way up and they sort of follow the same calendar as Formula One when you sort of go up there. But So that first like initial sort of getting into karting is really, really expensive. Because like, first of all, you have to do race weekends and race weekends include Fridays as well. And if you go to school, you can't really do that. So a lot of people are homeschooled or like they sort of have special, they go to private school because they quite don't quite them. elitist. In that yeah, it, def- it definitely is. I mean, you see some drivers who, I guess the parents aren't like, just like billionaires. I mean, there are some, but like some of them are just like, you know, wealthy people. You know what I mean? They, they work and they make money, but a lot of the time it's like, you have to take your child to these events and you have to be their engineer because you get a stock car has the same engine as everyone else's, the same setup. And all you can do is basically make the engine, tune it so it works better for whatever situation. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't get as much wheel spin or whatever you need for a certain track. There's not much in it at that level other than, like, the talent of the driver. Mm. And, I mean, Lewis Hamilton was very lucky. He got picked up by McLaren, have a junior programme, and they sort of funded his rise through the ranks. But I don't think that sort of gave him any benefit over any other driver because like I said if you've got a rich dad who's going to pay 20 million to put you in a car they'd rather have yeah. that than someone who could win a world championship drivers so dependent on the car being good so mm. yeah so like his journey and also like you know being from sort of a you know he's 
his background is you know race and everything like that like there's yeah. basically no black drivers in formula one there never has mm. been and like is he the only one at the, at the moment in maybe well let me ask him that question like is it formula one two three and four are they like the yeah but ones? formula one is miles above that like the drivers who can do well in the other categories and never go to formula one so do you think Lewis Hamilton will be the only black person? No, I don't think time? now. I don't think now because like I think teams have incentive to go after people uh, better, like a more grassroots level. Like I said, it's difficult to it's difficult again, like you're always gonna have that hurdle of like Lewis Hamilton's dad had to like mm. work two jobs and stuff to get the money for him to go to yeah. the meets and there's always gonna be that boundary. You cannot you can't just show up like you do with football. Mm. Um, and show up and just play well and then they're like well you're on the team like you can't just show up to a go-karting track like you know underneath the MEN or whatever <laughs> drive around there's not going to be scouts waiting around but <laughs> you know what I mean it's very particular but I hope so I hope that like there's more opportunity I just don't know how you can get through that initial barrier that's you know how do you get through that there's no there's no grassroots system. You can't. It's not like football where you literally just show up to Sunday league and play. There's never. It's never yeah. going to happen unless they do mm. Sunday league karting. They just bring a load of carts <laughs> and kids show up and drive it. But it's pr- <laughs> I'd love a PE lesson in it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. And it's just never going to be that. And it's unfortunate. But they can do their best to try and recognise drivers who maybe don't get the same funding. Like, there's never been a driver. Other than South Africa, which didn't really count for a long time, because obviously they were very racist. Um, I don't think there's ever been a driver from Africa, I want to say, which is like our whole continent of the earth, which like has is very populous, and they call it a world championship when it's not, is it? Like they don't have a race in Africa (laughs) either, which is like quite content, like a contentious point at the minute. Um, there's been plenty of drivers from like South America as well, which is would surprise a lot of people. But Brazil has like a big racing culture. Well, there was there was um, that film. Uh, it's a Senna. Senna, yeah, Ayrton Senna. Yeah, Senna, yeah. He's a big driver, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he, he got killed in a race. Um, mm. Oh, I think it was in a race. He just that's what I was saying earlier about them trying to slow. They occasionally they change the regulations because they need to slow the cars down in corners because otherwise they just don't. If something happens, then they just hit a wall and die. And that's mm. what he did. And it was like horrible. I think two drivers died that weekend and they changed a load of rules about safety and all that. But wow. yeah, I mean, you know, the world is represented, but it's mainly just Europe, really. I mean, there's a there's a Japanese driver, but again, they're first world, really, aren't they? And there's no drivers from America. There's one, from, there's two from Canada, but I'd particularly say they're both pay drivers. That really surprises me. Yeah, no Americans. I thought there has been America would be has, all over that. There has that. been, but um, America oh, okay. is a difficult market because you've got like NASCAR, you've got IndyCar, mm. America, you've got so many sports in America. Like it's actually unreal to try and go into a market and compete with it. Like they've added a second race there now, and that's going to be around Miami as a street circuit. And I think that's trying Ooh. to be a bit more on the doorstep of people. Um, although yeah. Miami is probably not the right place to be on the doorstep for people, is it? Quite <laughs> no. rich and famous again. They race in countries that arguably don't have the best human rights and wouldn't agree with. So this last year, um, with the pandemic and you know, we had the Black Lives Matter movements and all sorts of like movements about sort of coming together and being a bit more nice to people. 
they started a campaign called We Racers One, and that was like sort of to indulge. Like it was mainly because like Lewis Hamilton really pushed for it and everything, mm. and like he did a great job of getting something like that in it. But then they go and race in places like Saudi Arabia and you know Bahrain and in the Middle yeah. East, where and Russia. Arguably, and China, <laughs> you know, arguably countries where they don't have the best human rights and probably would agree with the message that Formula One are endorsing. Um, well, I think it was only two years ago that uh, women were allowed to start taking driving lessons in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it, it's, <laughs> wow. uh, it, it's not the most progressive place or, or part of the earth, shall we say. But it's interesting. And I suppose with like the modernization of it, like you say, it does seem to, I think with Sky picking it up, it's huge, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Like Sky picking it up. So we haven't, there's a new owner, that the uh, Liberty Media, and they own, I want to say they own like a couple of American uh, sports teams. I think they own newspapers and a couple of other bits and bobs. But um, they came in a few years ago and they pretty much revolutionized the sport. Like it's been on Sky now for 10 years, I want to say. I can't remember the last time I saw it on BBC. I know there was a deal where, like they had like four races on Channel Four and stuff like that, um, but Sky still show all of it basically. Channel Four do the highlight show, but you can't. I feel like the highlights of a Formula One race don't really give it the full beans. It's like watching highlights of any sport. You just see the, you know, the ten minutes of when it was like everything was happening, and you don't see the whole thing, which is like you know also a race in itself. And uh, but yeah, I mean Sky come into it with Liberty Media owning the Formula One now has changed everything. Like they really want to make it more of an entertainment um sort of I'm just just looking at what they own. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> oh, wow. They own a lot of a lot of sports teams. And to be honest, I think they've done more good than they've done bad. Like they just like so the one of the first things it did, like Formula this is just like a thing that you just think, why wasn't this like happening? they only came in like three or four years ago they have a website now which they didn't really have before they now have this thing called f1 tv you go on that you pay i think two pounds a month which isn't too bad you can't watch the race because that's on sky but you can watch like everything else during the race like you can watch all if you want all the bloody insights and timings and all that crap like if you want to feel like you're like in the garage or something like that like you can have all that <laughs> they also have an archive the Formula One have had this archive since, I want to say it goes back to like the races in the 70s. So they have a literally oh, an archive cool. of all the footage from the race. So like, you know, like broadcast. And it was just sitting there in like, you know, like their storage. And they just didn't have it anywhere. And this was like till three years ago when, let's be honest, like social media has been around and like websites and Netflix and all that. Been around for a good 10 years. And so now you can go on and watch a race from, you know, and all the stuff, like footage, like the, they have the highlight reels and everything like that. So they used to do like, because when they did own it, they used to F1 and 30. So they got like 30 minutes. And it was just like the race and a bit of the background. And it was more right. like a storyboard of what happened with some mm. footage, really. But um, yeah. that was that's all there now. So you can watch races from like 10 years ago. Like, oh, I remember watching that. And like, I remember when that happened. And That sounds really cool. That's a two quid a month. Yeah. So, yeah, I got it last year in lockdown and just watched a load of old races just to sort of pass the days when I was on furlough. And yeah, yeah, I mean, they've done more good than bad. I mean, they want it to be more of an entertainment thing. I think a lot of the racing has got a bit stale, and I think they've tried to push them, the FIA, who do the rules, to try and make it 
more of a race and sort of make it a bit more relevant to like real life as well, like next year. So I guess the tyres that you might see on telly normally, these big lots of rubber, whereas your road yeah. car is just a rim and a tiny bit of rubber. So they're now moving towards that. So they're like 18 inch rims now. So they only have like battery okay. rubber. Um, and it means like the suspension and the tyre are more in line with a real road car. So they're trying to entice more manufacturers to come into it because at the minute, the, the rules are just like, these cars are just gods amongst men. Like they are in a different league about, you can't even compare them to any other race other than like, even dragsters wouldn't be able to compare because they're so specific. But Formula One cars have sort of got that way and, it's just crazy. What's what's a dragster? Like sorry. A, you know the cars are just like just go in a straight line and go like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, like a muscle car, car or something. Yeah, so like yeah, they have them in America. <laughs> if you just type in a drag drag race, you'll see it. They they snap in half and everything. It's mental. Oh so gosh. Would that be the type of car that races in like the Indy five hundred stuff? Is it that kind of oh, thing? The, the Indy five hundred is very similar to Formula One, but it's okay. like each team doesn't make the car, they just get given a car. And they race that car. It's a spec series. So it's like, I don't know. It's hard to compare to any sport, really. But it's like, get given the same bicycle to ride. I don't know what I mean. It's just like, so the, the person who drives it makes more of the difference. But that's mm-hmm. the slower series and everything. That's more F2. But like, it's for like America, because America have to have their own thing. <laughs> you know what they're like. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're so specific, these cars. Like, their engines themselves just you couldn't put that engine in any other car because it's so it's just so different to what they put in a road car so they're trying to like slowly they're changing the rules and trying to make it a bit more relevant and try and make it like racing better because at the minute although i don't think the overtaking was ever really a big thing but apparently there's no overtaking which to be honest i've watched it for years and i don't remember there ever being lots of overtakes in fact there used to be less Because cars used to be so much like less reliable that they just broke down. So that was half your overtakes. So, yeah, I mean, the change in landscape of it is crazy. Yeah. So for for, for us here and the listeners at home that don't watch F1 mm. at all, what would your sort of recommendation be to get into it? Because like we've done in the previous episode when Stephen chatted about the NFL, he gave us a sort of like way to approach the NFL as a neutral bystander yeah. and a good way to sort of approach it. So what would you say is the best way for a neutral person to sort of get into the F1? Have you got any tips for yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, so I guess the first thing is like, unfortunately, there's the barrier to entry. Like you have to have Sky Sports because watching it on Channel 4, you just, they sort of, the way it's presented on Channel 4 is more for someone who watches it regularly. It's a highlight show. So they will sort of glaze over things, but Sky Sports do quite a good job every weekend to talk about, you know, if there's technical stuff, they'll dumb it down. And, and it's like a lot of people find that annoying you watch it a lot. But I don't think they do it on a degree where it's like condescending to people who know what's going on. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'd say first, I mean, I don't know. There's, there's multiple ways you could do it. I mean, so there's the Netflix show, which is Drive to Survive. Um, and that's like... Okay. presented more like a documentary so i don't know if you've ever watched uh, like last chance you or anything like that I don't yeah, think I other, that, yeah all or nothing the ones they've done on uh, amazon sort of similar yeah. where they sort of follow a season or whatever um of a team but like the f11 yeah. follows sort of a season as a whole but they sort of like focus it on each team so the first seat if you watch the first season 
not all the teams signed up because they didn't know sort of they didn't want all the, the camera access and all the sort of potential you know backlash of all that if it was crap basically they didn't want to be involved and then the second season they realized like all the sponsors and stuff wanted to be on netflix <laughs> so they, they all right, signed okay. up and gave like sort of you know the ability to go and watch them so the first season's good because i think it follows it doesn't follow mercedes because again they were a team that didn't want to sign up or ferrari so you know potentially that could put you off but it follows red bull and they're really open with red bull and you follow racers so you, you basically will introduce you to it and they actually talk about things that people don't might, might not know about and they introduce you to it in quite a good way especially the first season because the first season is like very much like they knew a lot of people hadn't watched Formula One in years or have never really watched it or just watched it occasionally when it's been on mm. casual fans uh, or even fans that maybe have watched it and thought crap and then you know just put it down so a lot of people watched it because it was hyped up so yeah let's just approach it like that I'd say stick an episode for the first episode of Drive to Survive season one on so that's from 2018 so it's a few years ago okay. but I'd still say everything is relevant just the drivers have moved around and the teams a couple of teams have different names but yeah watch Drive to Survive and just see you know see if it entices you because I think it potentially could I'd sit and watch that and then if, if you yeah. can make it through a season you'll want to watch the next one and if you can, you'll watch all three seasons and then you'll be like shit when when's the next race on <laughs> like yeah okay I, I brilliant guess, it's good example is that like to be honest like when I was starting uni I sort of forgot about it a bit sort of did yeah. fall out of love with it but just like when I wasn't at home like it was me and my dad who used to watch it so I used to sort of sit down and watch it with dad and without sort of being yeah. at home every weekend it was like sort of just don't watch it anymore and then uh, one of my friends that I used to work with when I worked in uh, Tesco like he was saying like oh do you like Formula 1 I was like oh yeah I used to watch it and I was like oh, if you had this Drive Survive going like give that a watch basically and that got me back into it Okay. Um, so I definitely recommend starting there. And then I guess if you do like the sound of it and it sort of makes me think, oh, I'll watch a race, then just see when the next race is on. I mean, there's a whole weekend. So like Friday, they show up. Uh, I think they show up on the Wednesday, but Friday is the first televised day and they do practices. And that's just basically cars, just testing the cars out, see if everything's working and making it work for the track, blah, blah, blah. And Saturday sure. is qualifying where... They do okay. the fastest lap they can, and they basically, if whatever the fastest lap is, they start first and then, you know, goes back. And there's a bit of like a sort of whole system behind that. Like there's quali- there's different qualifying sessions. It's not too complicated. It's more knockout. They explain it all. If you watched it every weekend, they explain yeah. what every session is about. Yeah. Also in the qualifying race, because not as many people watch the practice. I mean, to be honest, I usually just stick that on when I'm working, just as sort of it's more like this to a podcast because nothing happens they just talk about the stories of the weekend i guess so and then if you like it you know you can carry on watching it it's difficult i'd say that the only problem is like everything seems to be in formula one is there is a barrier to entry and it's money regardless if you want to drive in it compete in it or watch it and that's probably Mm -hmm. the most frustrating thing like trying to tell people and not a lot of pubs will show it and if you watch at a pub you probably won't get the full experience without the commentary I know a lot of pubs will do it for the football, but they won't do it for the... I, I don't think I've ever seen a pub put the Formula 1 commentary on. <laughs> so, sometimes it's on in the background, but you won't be able to follow it. Like, a lot of it's in the commentary. 
and there's uh, David Croft. I think he used to do the darts on Sky, and he's the commentator, and he does quite a good job of making it. Although he gets a lot of stuff wrong, but um, no, really, uh, his, his, his color commentator is better, which is Martin Brundle. He used to be a driver. And he just steps in and goes, actually, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> just what you need. It's house. <laughs> it does, um, do they still alternate with Channel 4? Because I know it might have been last season or the season before they did one each, didn't they? Uh, no, not I anymore, thought... no. So think, it's like four Sky, is it? Yeah, I think that's the change with, like I was saying, like Liberty Media coming in. They just wanted, they wanted it more to be like, it is frustrating because like, I'm hoping that like, when they look sort of look at doing it again, um, like the television rights, like it could be a bit more split up because I feel like because it's all on Sky. I'm not saying I don't think they're ever going to take it back to terrestrial. Like it just I just don't see it happening. Maybe I'd like to see it at least, even if it could go to something like Amazon, because I know Amazon Prime do tell like you know sports now, like you watch some football, yeah. and that's yeah. included with it. And I know a lot of people have Amazon Prime just for like you know deliveries and all that stuff. So. Even if it could get half the races or some races on there, that would be beneficial. But I think there's a conflict of interest there because there's a whole thing with Netflix. But maybe Netflix will start showing sports next. Who knows? I mean, yeah, yeah. that'd be brilliant. I mean, even if Netflix could have the like an archive of races from Sky, that'd be really good. I think that'd help sort of pair up with the Drive to Survive. Like, oh, you just mm-hmm. watched this episode of Drive to Survive where they sort of focused on these races. Why not watch them yeah. and see how it yeah. all played out? I don't know. Like, there's definitely things they could be doing better, and I think they're probably locked in a contract at the minute, Sky. So you, you've spoken to us about sort of the history of uh, F1 and how it started, and you've also given us a modern take to it and how a normal person can sort of come into it at, at an entry level. Where It might be a weird question, but where do you see F1 going in like 20 years' time? Have you got a sort of idea of it, or is it completely... It's a bit of a weird time, isn't it? I guess for all cars, because in the UK, they're on about banning combustion engine cars by 2030. So the obvious thing I've got saying is like relevance to real life. It's difficult because the car manufacturers don't want to be making an engine if they can't make an engine for like one of the biggest markets, the cars in the world, because it's just a throwaway right. money. And like, obviously, environmentalism is becoming a big thing and they are trying to like become carbon neutral, you know, like planting trees. And the, yeah. the, the thing of Formula One is it's an international event. So you're always, always going to like have a massive carbon footprint. So they try and do more things now that's sustainable, like instead of just flying parts and flying the cars over every weekend, they'll try and keep them. So like say if they go from, for example, they had a race in Portugal and a week later they had one in Spain. They're not, they would in the past just ship all the stuff back to the factory do whatever they need to do and then ship it to Spain. They're like, well, we'll fly it, which is the worst thing. But now, where they would drive it to Spain and try and do what they can there, and if they need to fly some parts out, they'd fly them out, but only keep it sort of light, basically. And I think they're encouraged to do that. There's a budget cap as well, and each team can only spend X amount of money. And I believe that, yeah, that's the same for every team. And then they're doing some stuff with the way that you develop your car so that scales on say if you come first you can't develop your car as you don't have as much time to develop your car as the one who comes last so they're trying to make it so like teams can't just run away with it like mercedes have for years and that's also the budget caps you know intention because mercedes spend about 400 million um a year probably 400 500 million pounds a year developing the car just developing car 
and like all the expenses yeah. and then Williams who are arguably the worst team spent about 140 million so the, the the vast difference is is getting a bit crazy and obviously Liberty Media being an American brand see the benefits in sort of budget caps more than British owned media which has owned it for a long time and just wanted it to make as much money as they could but I think it benefits everyone so now they're trying to use like what they call e-fuels which is like you know like from like sugarcane plants and all that kind of stuff or synthetic fuels to try and take it away from actually being fossil fuels so it's still a combustion engine because that at the heart of formula one the combustion engine is what it makes it is like the sound of it and like yeah. it always has been that and they use a hybrid part of the engine now which is like the electrical part but it it's a boost basically it's not like a, your Toyota Prius which like uses it more sort of efficiently I guess the future of it would be to make it capable of not becoming irrelevant I guess that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to say and I think that's a difficult task because no one knows what 10 years no one knew what I mean, you think five years ago, we would have thought plain sailing, but even with COVID and everything, like that's changed a lot of stuff. Like, they brought forward a lot of the new ideas they had because teams need to save money um, because they weren't making any money with cars. And I guess that's the other thing, like how much money are cars going to make in the future? Tesla are coming along and seeing a big portion of the electric market. You know, will some of these manufacturers exist in 10, 20 years? Who knows? Mm-hmm. And can we keep going racing in 10 years with fossil fuels or fuel in general with environmentalism be there such a big agenda now? And that's the sad thing. Yeah. That's the sort of thing I don't like to look at. <laughs> it's the ugly side <laughs> of Formula So quite sort of environmentally driven in my own life um, that it sort of seems quite hypocritical to like such a sport that is, is potentially yeah. damaging the environment so much. But I don't know. It is what it is. And I guess they can only try and make it better and more sustainable. And they've just got to push for that. And they seem to be quite intent on doing that because I think they've started yeah. to realise that if they don't, then in 10 years they really won't have anything. So, Of course. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, people have to get into Formula 1 where they can by the sounds of it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually quite sad because it's strange. Like, I don't even know if it will exist in 10 years. I mean, there's yeah. Formula E, which okay. is like the electric equivalent, but it's not even close because batteries just don't don't have the range and performance so well if that's not an, an incentive to get into formula one i don't know what it is <laughs> <laughs> try it while you can basically yeah, yeah, like yeah. cigarettes <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> well um that's been absolutely fantastic james i mean to be honest I, like like we've said none of us are really formula one fans so it's great that you've, you've brought a topic that to be honest, none of us actually know anything about. Yeah. And it's been quite fascinating for, for me to to hear about this, this topic. What about you, boys? Oh, completely agree, George, mate. Like, I'm glad I've got something to actually take away and watch again to sort of reevaluate what we've been chatting about with that Netflix series. I've written it down. Is it Drive to Survive? Is that what it was called? Yeah, Drive to Survive. I think it's called Formula One Drive to Survive, but it's usually on the yeah. front page. Fantastic. What about you, Webb? Yeah, man, I've got like a couple of like good friends who are like really into F1 and have been for a while. They go like Le Mans every year. Uh, shout out Ryan and Jack if you are listening. And I've just never been able to like fully get into it. I remember watching Monaco with my partner's dad maybe a year or two ago. And we watched the whole thing and I'm a bit like not clued up on what's going on anyway. The guy who was in first wins it. 
And at the end of the race, he turns to me and goes, yeah, no one ever usually overtakes at Monaco. I'm just like, fucking hell, it's been like two hours. Why would we watch it? Yeah, there's better races to watch. Yeah, I imagine so. But no, I think that Drive to Survive sounds like a really good entry point. I'm, um, I've spoken recently about like uh, wrestling and uh, the NFL. And I think if you can find like a platform or a documentary, which both do really well um, to sort of kind of baby step you into it and then get you interested about characters and stuff like that. Um, I think like I'll definitely be watching that to try and get a bit of a handle on it because I, I just love any sport that's kind of competitive but I would love to ask just before, and it's just going to be a one-word answer I want from you. Does the driver make a difference? Uh, <laughs> That's not yeah, one-word yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, fair. Lewis, just to finish, like, Lewis Hamilton genuinely, like, as much as I sort of loathe him at the minute, like, he genuinely probably is the best driver that's ever existed. He just gets uh, so okay. much out of every, like, even, like, in moments where it all seems lost. Like you can win it, but well, could he win in a Williams though? No, no, but that's the this completely like different ends of the scale. Okay. Like mm-hmm. the t- the cars are so far apart, but he could probably pull one of the sort of top three cars to a win. I imagine, like not regularly, mm-hmm. but it's difficult. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Well. Uh, yeah, I think that pretty much uh, concludes the the show this uh, week. Um, if anybody would like to get in touch, uh, it's show at bitpod.com if you want to email in or try us on our uh, social media angles. Is there anywhere people can get you on online, James? No. <laughs> I don't have any. I, I have Facebook, but I don't. I, I sort of use Myoto's <laughs> in, Instagram, so follow at Myoto's <laughs> Um, I'll make one eventually. Uh, if someone's <laughs> given us a record deal, I'll make one. Then it's not a requirement. <laughs> yeah. No worries, no worries. Well, if you do want to get in touch, get in touch with us and we'll pass anything on to James. Otherwise, uh, yeah, it's been a great show, a really fascinating topic, and we're very grateful. We hopefully will be back in two weeks' time with our last episode of the season, something a little bit different, and we can't wait to uh, to get that one done, finish the season off, and hopefully start a new season, which is probably going to be a little bit more guest-heavy. But, yeah, until then, um, that's us. Thanks, James. It's been super interesting, mate. I think, uh, like you say, it's, it's always nice to hear about something that you've literally never really had much of an, an idea on. Um, and I think, yeah, I've got to check out the documentary and... Obviously, all the best with the uh, the band and stuff, mate. Thank you. We should all watch a race together sometime. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Definitely, for sure. Well up for that, mate. Yeah, no, thank you again, James. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to spend the time with us and explain to us and the listeners at home all about the F1 series. Hopefully, as George said, do get in touch and let us know if you do watch it and let us know your thoughts. Yes, and uh, obviously, yeah, the the gig on the 31st of July. Don't forget, Connor and James are going to absolutely smash it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thanks. <laughs> and that's all from us. Nice one. Cheers, boys. season finale as well in it next time which one of us is going to die <laughs> <laughs> yeah.